Welcome, everybody, to Blackhawk Church. My name is Matt, and I figured uh, when the Packers are playing in London as we are doing church, this might be okay to wear right now. Yeah, so welcome to all sites, all venues, everybody watching, uh, everyone at home right now. Um, there are about 12 of us in the room here live, so because of all of you who are watching, I'm kidding. Are we stronger than that? Can we give them an idea how strong we are right now? Yeah, see that? Yeah, we've got a lot of non-Packer fans in the room right now, so... So to all of you, to all of you who are at home, because you're watching me on one screen and watching the Packers on the other, yeah, whatever. Um, in fact, okay, I thought this could be kind of cool for all of us. I mean, we have this screen right here. I was talking to the tech team. Can we just get the game on here? You know, I could get the little pen out. We can draw plays. It could be really fun. And I figure if we did that, I would probably get more cheering during my sermon than I ever have in my life. So it could be awesome. So um, really, we're, we're really glad that you all are, are joining us, regardless of where you're watching right now. So I've been a pastor around here at Blackhawk for a long time. And, uh, and as a pastor, um, there are different situations you're put into where you get to see things that the average person might not get to see. You have views that, that not everybody gets to experience. And uh, I wanted to share one of these with you that's my f one of my favorite views that I get to see uh, when, just as a pastor. So I, I think we've got it. We can put it on the screen right now. It's that view right there. So, I, I mean, being around here for a long time, we've got a lot of young people who attend our church who end up getting married here. So I've done a lot of weddings over the years. And, uh, and one, of, one of the things that I love is this moment. Like at that moment when I'm standing up front, I have the best seat in the house. And, uh, and I realized years ago, it would be kind of fun. I started doing this where like, I pull out my phone and quick like snap a little photo because I'm the only one that can get that shot. And then I'll send it to the couple later. But I love, I love, love this moment that takes place. I love this moment where the bride and groom, potentially in lots of situations, like they're in the moment, regardless if they've seen each other already, they are in this moment. They are seeing each other. Oftentimes it's emotional, many times for the guy. I love seeing the crying groom stand up there at the beginning. And I just see this couple surrounded by friends and family who are all there because of the love this couple has for each other. And what this couple is thinking about at that moment, what are they thinking about? They're thinking about the love they have for each other. This is the culmination of everything that they've been like planning for and moving towards through their entire relationship. They've got hopes and dreams of what their future is going to look like. It's just awesome. But do you know um, what I'm actually thinking about in that moment as I'm standing there, as I'm looking at the couple, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, you all have no idea what you are getting yourself into today. I mean, married couples, can I get an amen from anyone in the room right now? I, like, you have no idea the complexity and the hardship and the struggle and the pain. Like all, do I sound like the biggest Debbie Downer or what right now? I really do like, I love my marriage. In fact, you know, I, I was that couple at one point. We, for so any of us who were married, we... <laughs> I really was. I look at that picture. How awesome is that? Look at all that dark hair. So we were babies. This was, this was um, 
Okay, I got to get this right. August 20th, 1994, 28 years ago at the old Blackhawk on Whitney Way. That's where Rachel and I were married. And I remember that day and (laughs) we looked so young and like that picture totally dates us. I just remember that day. Rachel's, Rachel looked beautiful. Her, her, her sleeves were white and poofy. And my, and my hair was dark and poofy and, uh, and we were so in love and we had no idea what we were getting into. Like, like looking, looking back 28 years, we had no idea. The stuff and the struggles and the hardships and the complexity and the confusion and, and the lack of communication or too much communication that would happen in our marriage. I mean, the thing that we've learned, like we love marriage. Marriage is hard. It is not a given. But the reality is it was something that was ordained by God. And so today we're actually talking about the subject of marriage. Now, for some of you right now, you might be going, wait, 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 wait. Matt, we're like... Why are we talking about marriage? We're in this series, remember, Live This Book, where we're taking a look at the story of scripture. We're supposed to be doing that from September through May, and that's what we're doing. Why are we stopping looking at marriage? Well, in actuality, the reason being, marriage actually comes up as a subject in Genesis chapter two. And so, and it continues on through all of scripture. And so we figured it would be worth it for us to look at. And part of it is because anytime that you bring up the subject of marriage, there are so many issues in today's culture that come up. I mean, so many things that we end up thinking about. And so what we're gonna do today, we're gonna take kind of a 30,000 feet look at at, at marriage, but the reality is there are issues that like people are gonna be wondering about. I mean, in today's culture, I mean, things like like same-sex marriage, or um, cohabitation, or, or what, about, what about divorce? Or what about in, in our schools and things like, the, like our schools around our families, like the conversations of gender, and what does that mean? And all of these different things come up, which are all rabbit trails that we could easily, easily spend our entire time in today. And the reason why I say that is because when I think about those, those areas, like these are not, they're not just subjects. They're not just topics that we can cover. They are connected to people. People who um, are here and are questioning all kinds of different things. People who we love and care about. And so, you know, I, I was putting this message together. Like, I did, I'll be honest, I didn't want to give this message. I was so grateful when Charles and Chris both told me they were unavailable on this day. I was like, yeah, guys, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Because I wasn't looking forward to giving this message. But even more than that, I don't, more so than not giving the message, I don't want us to be a church that isn't willing to move towards the difficult subjects. I mean, as long as I've known Blackhawk, we're a church that's willing to go towards the things that we might shy away from, and yet we all wonder about. And with a subject like this, so as I'm working on a message, the thing that I'm thinking about the entire time as I'm writing this are people. I'm thinking about people I know who are married and they love marriage. And I'm thinking of couples who I know whose marriages are hanging on by a thread. I think of people I know who have been divorced and remarried and are still at times deal with the ramifications of everything like that and the complexity of it. I think of friends of mine who are, who are single, um, straight and gay, who are longing to be married. I think of friends of mine I know who are in same-sex marriages who I care about so incredibly deeply. 
And, and, and so my hope is today, as we move towards everything it is we're going to move towards, and we take a look at scripture the way that we're going to, that we would allow, that we would allow the scripture to be able to lead us. Because I think sometimes in our culture, there's a tendency to want to bend scripture to say the things that we hope it would say. And, and what I want to do is to try to move towards scripture and the reality of what it says. But I can just tell you from the beginning that this message, like in the 30 minutes that we have, it is going to be incredibly inadequate. And, and there are going to be all kinds of things that we talk about where, where you're like, wait, what about, what about, what about? And we're not gonna have time to be able to stop in those areas. And there are going to be people who leave today agreeing with the things that I talk about. And there are gonna be people who leave today not agreeing with the things that I talk about. Guarantee there are going to be moments where I hit nerves for people. And, and my hope is, one of the things that I love about our church is that we can be a community, all different sites, venues, regardless if you're joining us online or you're here in the room, who can be moving towards Jesus and yet land in different places on subjects. And that we can be a community where even though we land at different places, where, where we can still love each other in the process of it and continue to, to see the good in one another and help each other move towards an idea of what a relationship with Jesus really looks like. Our church is amazing that way and it's difficult. And my hope is a day like this, we can continue to move that direction. So we're talking about marriage and I want to give us a grid, a little bit of a grid on where we're headed today. Uh, we are going to be starting really in the book of Genesis with God's original intent for marriage. And then from there, we're <laughs> going to jump forward to the New Testament with how Jesus really fulfilled everything for humanity and how that affects marriage altogether. And then really moving into the future, God's kingdom to come beyond where we are today and really how that affects the future of marriage. What's that going to look like for us as we move beyond this life? So that's where we're headed today. And we're going to start today in Genesis chapter two, starting with verse 18. So if you've got a Bible or whatever device you look at your Bible on, let's go ahead and go there for a minute. Genesis two, starting with verse 18. And uh, as we jump into this, we're really diving into a story where God is with Abraham in the garden of Eden. Okay, now think about that for a minute. The garden of Eden that gives us an idea of a lens and a framework that we have to be able to look at this passage of scripture in. You realize that in the Bible, there, there are just two chapters in scripture altogether that are giving us a picture of what life is supposed to look like before sin entered the world. Next, next chapter, Genesis 3, which Chris Dolson, Pastor Chris, you might remember him, he's going to take us into next week with the fall of mankind. Sin enters the world, brokenness, and all of us, all we have ever known is Genesis 3, post-Genesis 3 life. That's the rest of the Bible, but these first two chapters give us a picture of what it's supposed to look like pre-sin, and one of the topics that's covered is marriage, and that's where we're going to dive into this as God is having a conversation with Adam. So verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground, all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. <coughs> Excuse me. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was, was found. Okay, 
I kind of, I love this picture of what's taking place here. I, I kind of get a picture of it in my mind. God is spending time with Adam and seeing that it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so he gives Adam a job, but in the process of it, he's, Adam is looking for a helper, looking for somebody to be a partner in life. And so as he's naming all the animals, God's trying to show him yet, none of these really measure up. But I picture Adam in this moment. I don't, I mean, how did God bring all the animals? I have no idea. But I, but I picture that Adam is standing there, you know, whatever animal comes in front of him, he names it. So I picture Adam standing there and doing that, but also looking for a helper, looking for a partner. And so he's like, giraffe, nope. Um, eagle, nope. Um, porcupine, definitely nope. You know, and he's going through all these different animals moving towards that and sees that there's no help, like no partner for him. And so, well, God intervenes. And that's where we continue in verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay, so God, God creates Eve to be Adam's partner partner in life. And, and, and the picture that we are given is that these two, they are going to, from, from the future, for everyone that comes after Adam and Eve, that they will leave their family of origin and they will come together and be united by God in some way that we really don't understand. They will be connected, not just connected though. They will be fused together to become one flesh. And he uses that word one flesh and oftentimes we think of, of, of a sexual relationship when we think of that. And really what we're talking about is a man and a woman coming together, two, two differentiated human beings with the ability to come together and as they come together to actually create life. And we believe that scripture, this is actually the only type of sexual relationship that God permits. It's between a husband and a wife and a lifelong commitment to one another, fusion together. That's the only one that it does. But the relationship, when we hear one flesh, it's so, this fusion is so much more than that. It's not just sexual. It's, it's physical. It's emotional. It's mental. It's spiritual. It's a creating of something new of these two fused together. And what scripture says is that, I mean, in this fusion, you can't unfuse what God has fused together. That's the picture that we are given from Genesis chapter two. And if I say all of that, I know I've hit nerves with people already. Okay, Matt, what about, what about, what about, what about? Yeah, I get it. Look, I think there are a couple of elephants in the room right now that it might be worth just calling out. Like we're naming them, like Adam named elephant, you know? So one of them is the subject of divorce. Because I mean, within our church, with the amount of people who attend, regardless if it's at a site or online or here in person, lots of people have been affected and gone through divorce. And I, if, if you're in that camp, I just wanna say welcome to Blackhawk. Like we're really glad that you're here and our hope is that we can be a place to walk alongside you in that and to help you to heal in the process of it and to take a look at it from a biblical perspective. 
figure out next steps. You know, we don't have time in a 30-minute message to be able to dive into this subject. But let me tell you, we have this podcast that you've heard about that we are doing every week. And one of the subjects this week that we're going to be diving into is the subject of divorce. And so I'm hoping that you can take time to listen to that. Another thing too, knowing that people are at different places, some of you are, you're trying to figure out if divorce is the next step or you're on the other side and you've already been divorced. I want to point you towards two different books. One is if you're still like figuring out what marriage looks like, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller is a fantastic resource. And then for those of you who have been through divorce, the the book Divorce and Remarried in the Church by David Instone Brewer is an incredible resource as well. And those might be things you want to pick up. Another thing that we want to move you towards is we have a ministry here called Divorce Care, which is just simply set up to be able to walk alongside people in this process. And if it, it, it's kind of like a community group that you can be in and process everything that has gone on. And um, it, regardless if what site or venue you are at, we would love to help you with this. You can hop onto our website and get all the information and get in contact with somebody or at any of our sites or venues, you can stop by the information center and they would love to help you get involved and you can get involved with a group like that, like immediately. That's one elephant is in the room, is in the subject of divorce. The other thing that comes to people's mind is the whole concept of same-sex marriage. I talked about how God's ideal is for a man and a woman to come together in a relationship. And I know when I say that, there are people who are saying, Matt, I disagree with you. I mean, I have, look, I have good friends and family who disagree with me on this subject. And if you're a person here who disagrees with me on that, I just want to say, like I said to the people who have dealt with divorce, welcome to Blackhawk. Like, we're really glad that you're here. It is okay. And, 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 and my hope is, is that we continue as a church to move in the directions, to understand what scripture says, that as we do that together, that it can be in places where it's okay for us to disagree. And, and, and my guess is if we were to have a conversation, there would be more generally in life all together that we would agree with than we would disagree with. Look I, have, look, I have friends who are in same-sex marriages who I love deeply. I know they disagree with me on a subject like this. But our hope is, is in the process of all of it that we can be people who love each other and together strive to move towards Jesus. You know, the picture that we are given here when we talk about this ideal marriage that's talked about in the book of Genesis, we have to remember this is before the fall of humanity, before brokenness had entered into the world, before Genesis 3. And (laughs) in Genesis 3, let's be honest, it's affected all of us. I mean, the reality is for every single one of us here in the room, we are all broken And we are all broken when it comes to the area of marriage and sexuality. There's not one of us that's not affected in some ways. It kind of reminds me of this. Okay, so I've been in Madison for for a long time. One of my favorite things about Madison is uh, is the Dane County lakes, Lake Mendota, Lake Monona, Lake Wingra, you know, Lake Wabisa, Kiganza, all of them. I mean, I I love the Madison lakes. In fact, I even have a tattoo on my shoulder. I'll show you another time of the Madison Lake chain. Like I I love them. I I love being on them. I love wake surfing on them during the summer or going out on a pontoon boat or a stand up paddle board. I love going out to a restaurant. You know, whether it be the terrace or whatever that's like right along the lake. I love going for a run or a walk along the lake. I love them. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. If you go back and, and, and read about the early explorers and the early settlers around Madison, 
They share stories of these crystal clear, pristine, sandy bottom lakes that potentially might have looked, you know, something like this. You know, and now, <laughs> when as soon as I put that picture up, any of you that know Madison Lakes, you'd be like, that's not our lakes. <laughs> you know, because what are we used to? Well, when you fly over them, you see it. It's that our lakes, well, they're rather green and they're full of algae and seaweed and all kinds of funky stuff that grows from the bottom. And occasionally we have these areas that look like a fluorescent green carpet that kind of goes over the top of the lake. I mean, for crying out loud, we have, we have mowers on our lakes that try to clear, because every lake needs a mower, right? <laughs> like our lakes, they're broken. I mean, in fact, I was at Lake Wabisa just the other day and I was walking alongside it and I thought, well, I might as well, if you haven't been around them, yeah, welcome to Madison, you know, and there's our lake system right there. And the thing is, we're just used to it. Like, it's just what we think of when we think of these lakes. And if you're going to do anything around them, you just know that's what you're going to get. Now, do I love the lakes? Yeah, but when I get, them in, get into them, do I feel like I need a shower afterwards? Absolutely, you know? I'm just used to that. It's like, we can't even picture what it would have been like for the early settlers. It, it, it's kind of the same way when it comes to marriage and sexuality and these different things. We can't even really get a picture of what those things would have looked like on the Genesis 2 side of life. Everything we know is from the brokenness of Genesis 3 on. And so what God was trying to do is he was creating this ideal for marriage and setting that down to the Israelites as the people of Israel would have read the, the Hebrew scriptures and would have read these stories from the book of Genesis. Their picture that they would have gotten, which we can look at with this grid that I put up here before, is when it comes to Genesis, really the message was for them, get married. And marriage is a symbol of God's love for his people. And so the idea that people back then would have understood was get married. That's your calling in life. Okay, we all on the same page? We get where we're going? Now we're gonna jump forward into the New Testament. And as we jump forward into the New Testament, it's interesting because, um, well, this is where Jesus comes onto the scene. And as, as Jesus comes onto the scene, you know, God loved us to such a great level that he sent his son into this world to pay a penalty that we could never pay so that we could be in right relationship with God. And so Jesus came with the idea of paying the penalty for all our sins. So for any of us who place our faith in Jesus and him alone for our salvation, we can be in right relationship with God because of what he did for us. And if we're Jesus in the 33 years that he lived here on this planet, well, uh, he had things to say about marriage. But, but even more so than that was what it was that he exemplified with his life. I mean, newsflash, <laughs> Jesus was single. I mean, you ever really stop just to think about that? Like historical, historical fact, Jesus was a single man. He never had sex. Are, are, are any of us like going to say that Jesus didn't live a completely meaningful life? I mean, that's like, that's like ridiculous for us to even think about that idea. Jesus lived the most meaningful life of anyone who had ever lived on the planet. On top of that, like Jesus was the, Jesus was the first like historical leader, the first teacher in the Bible to actually like lift up and elevate the role of singleness like within the church. 
The idea of an unmarried single person that they would have the ability to live like a normal, significant, meaningful life as a single person. You know, on top of that, when we take a look at at the apostle Paul, different followers of Jesus, but Paul in particular, the guy who wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else, and he was single. And he talked about this idea, like point blank in scripture, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter seven, look at this. He said, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you of that. Anyone married ever deal with worldly troubles? (laughs) So then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. (laughs) Okay, again, Matt, what about, what about, what about, what about? Yeah, I know. There are all kinds of questions and we don't have time to be able to dive deep into a passage like this. But I think that we can, from a 30,000 foot approach, be able to stop and go, yeah, Paul wasn't a guy who was saying that the ultimate goal for every human being was that they had to be married. Here's the reason why I bring this up. Like we're a church that is close to 50% single, 50% married. We live in a culture today, I think you would all agree with this, that, that, has, that has made sex a commodity that we move towards. And, and because of our, our, our over-sexualized culture, I mean, it comes at us visually at every angle. You just can't get away from it. Like within that, the message that we give in so many cases is that sex is the ultimate thing in life. What's the greatest thing in life? Sex. And what's the way to be able to get there? Well, it's through romantic relationships. And so we paint this picture in our culture that the greatest way for any human being to be fulfilled is through romance that leads to sex. Now, the thing is, is that for our churches, we, <laughs> the message that we give really isn't all that better when it comes to the perspective of scripture like this. Because the message that we can so easily give in our churches today is that the ultimate goal for a person is to be married and have kids and have a family. And so in the process of that, we end up creating a culture where people who are single, well, they can feel isolated and they can feel left out and they can feel alone. And I just want you to hear if you are, if you're a single person in the room, that's on us. That's our bad. Because when we create a culture, regardless of the culture of romance and sex in the world or a culture in church that says, man, marriage and family, children are the most important thing. I'm just guessing from what we just read that the apostle Paul wouldn't agree with that. And Jesus from his life wouldn't agree with that. Like the the calling that God gives us in our lives is to be people who love each other deeply. And he's actually saying that for people who are single, I mean, does that mean that they live a life of, without covenant love? Absolutely not. It means that they actually have more time. If you're a single person, you, in comparison to a married person and all the things and struggles that they deal with, you actually have more time to be able to devote to loving people the way that Jesus loved them. And we're a community that needs to be able to buy into this side and understand that. So when it comes to the New Testament perspective, if we go back to the grid again, If we can go to the next one uh, and add in the New Testament part. 
Oh, actually, thank you. Thanks so much for those slides because I actually forgot a part. So let me jump back for just a minute because it can, like, from that, it can easily seem like, it can easily seem like we are, um, like that the apostle Paul was saying, okay, yeah, d- like marriage, big deal. No, no, no. Paul actually believed in marriage to a great level. So, but he did it. The things that he said about it, actually, they can kind of rub us wrong at particular times. So I've already hit nerves with people. So I figure why stop? So we're going to look at a passage of scripture that might do that. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 5. And this is where Jesus, or uh, where the apostle Paul says something. (laughs) We'll just get into it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, (laughs) as I'm standing here at all sites and venues, at people online, I can feel the eye rolls right now happening. Because, I mean, let's just be honest, who, in, like, who here wants to be a person who moves towards submission? No one. I have never had a conversation with a woman who said, Matt, my goal in life is to be one who just submits to a man. <laughs> said no woman ever. You know, I mean, and so, so, and look, I, I mean, that can be cute and all, but like, I know that this passage like has been, has been used and, and damaged women at times as it's been taken out of context. And what I mean by taken out of context is it can easily look like in the man, well, they're just supposed to love their wives. Husbands love your wives. Wives submit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how, how are husbands supposed to love their wives? As Christ loved the church. As Christ sacrificed for the church. You see, we get a better picture of that when Paul actually talks about the subject of what that looked like in Philippians chapter two, where he said that, that our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, who being God didn't consider equality with God something to be like grasped or hung onto, but instead he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and doing that, he humbled himself. And he, he became obedient to death. You see, we hear that word of submission, but then with that, we take the example of Jesus, the one who, who sacrificed everything and took on the heart of a servant to love us and to lift us up so that we could be in right relationship with the Father. And this is the calling of men, of husbands, that we're supposed to take on in our lives, that we would be those who we come underneath. You see, this is the picture that he is giving when he says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, that in a marriage that we would be people who rather than like trying to get the leg up, trying to get the last word, trying to be the person who is like really in charge. No, 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 that we would be people who our goal would be to come under, to submit, to sacrifice, (coughs) to serve, to love each other this way, to be the one who says, well, I want to do what you want to do. What do you think? Because I want, I want it to be about you. No, I want it to be about you. Well, what about in this case? Can it be about you? No, because I want it to be about you. Like, it's this type of motion 
And he's saying that when we strive in our marriages, both people to be that, to be that, those type of people, our marriages become strong, but it's so much more than that, actually. Because when we do that, our, our marriages become a figurative image to the world of the way that Jesus loves us. That when people see us, they don't just see us, they ultimately see Jesus and the way that he loves the church. So, with the graph that I tried to move to towards prematurely before, this is what it's really saying in the New Testament. Get married if you want, and marriage should image the love of Christ. Or stay single, which is completely viable, and have an even greater participation in the community that images the love of Christ. This is what Paul was moving towards as we look at these things in the New Testament. But it's interesting because Paul, in the same passage, he alludes towards where we're heading in the future, which he throws into this passage. And it's like a curveball where you're like, what? He, he, he moves towards an area that, that I think, it, it, man, it's confusing. Let's go to the last couple verses here. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Where have we heard that before? Genesis 2, taken straight from there. And he said, this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ in the church. Okay, what? What does that mean? You know, Jesus even alludes to it. As Jesus was, um, one time, as he was spending time with uh, some religious leaders who would come to kind of question Jesus and trap Jesus into something he might not be able to answer. They were asking him about marriage and remarriage. And Jesus actually said this to them. He said, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given to marriage. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm talking about Christ in the church. He's painting a picture that once, man, we are all done with this lives and the other side in all eternity, guess what? We're not going to be married. Okay, Matt, what about, what about, what about, what about? I know. And my only answer to you is, I don't really know. Well, let's close in prayer. Thanks so much for being here. So... <laughs> We aren't given a picture of what that looks like, but we as the church are called in scripture over and over again, the bride of Christ. And if we go all the way to the book of Revelation, Revelation gives us this picture of Jesus being alluded to as the lamb of God and, and us being the bride of Christ and there being this marriage, this union, that scripture gives us a picture will be more fulfilling than anything that we have ever experienced. Giving us the picture that, like, that marriage, as hard as it is or as great as it is, it's not the ultimate. I love my wife. I love my marriage. And the fact of thinking about someday we won't be married, that's a weird concept. But I have to buy into the idea that what we are moving towards is greater and more fulfilling. And he gives us this picture of us as the community, the body of Christ and the way that we love each other. That continuing on forever in a union and a connection with Jesus that will be more satisfying, more fulfilling, more meaningful than anything we can imagine. And so if we take a look at that grid, once again, God's kingdom to come, no one's married and we are all together the bride of Christ. That's the thread of marriage throughout all of scripture. So what does that mean to us? Well, this is going to sound overly simplistic, but if we can get it right, it literally can change society and change our world. You see, the calling that, that Jesus placed on us is that we would be people who love God and we love each other. 
And I think the reason why he did that is because he knew what we were moving towards, towards a world where we collectively, as the church of Jesus Christ, single, married, different ages and stages of life, different ethnicities and nationalities and backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses, all of these different people together, loving each other and loving the Lord, that in some way he was giving us a picture of where we were headed. So what does that mean for us now? Well, if you're married, how are you doing at loving your spouse? How are you doing at being a person who comes underneath and continues to, to, to sacrifice and serve and submit to and love each other this way? If you're a single person, what does it look like to be able to exemplify the role model that Jesus set and the way that he loved people as a single person? And how do we enter into that together as the church? to be people who make sure that no one feels isolated or left out or alone, but love each other in such a countercultural way that people on the outside, when they see us, they long to be a part of what we have here in the inside because they end up seeing Jesus, which is where we're all headed. See, if we can get that right, man, lives can change. So there you have it. There's marriage. I know that um, there, I've opened a can of worms and there are gonna be all kinds of questions that people have as you head into your community. I wish I could be at everyone's community groups this week and as you head to brunch afterwards or other conversations, here's my ask is that we would be kind with each other, that we would be willing to listen, that we would be willing to lovingly disagree and still move towards each other. And we would remember that, that the God who is the one who created marriage before the fall of mankind is the same one who loved us to such a great level, loved us to such a great level that he sent his son to open a door for us to be in right relationship with him. Let me pray for us. Lord God, this is a, a tricky subject. We thank you so much. You're the author of it. And so for our church, as we just continue in conversation on something like this with a thread we see all throughout scripture, I pray that you would lead us. God, would, would you help this not just to become a topic, but to be people? Would you help us to love each other? And would you help us to continue to become a church who love each other so extravagantly the way that you love us, that we would be people who are moving towards what it is that you have for us in the future. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people together said, amen. amen.